you are about to enter a great adventure. What's going on, boys? Welcome to another episode of Strutting from Gorilla. This is episode 25. 27. 27. Somebody may have screwed up when they were creating that Google Doc. Whatever. It's still a milestone episode regardless. You know why? Because we are talking about the captain of the ship today. And we have here... Three out of the four horsemen, fucking jabronis, whoever we are, we are the four men in our 30s talking to you about all things wrestling. This episode in particular, we're going to be talking about the immortal Hulk Hogan. And before we even get started, we need to tell you something about not our sponsors, but places you can find more material about fantastic greatness. That is on our new Facebook page. That is at SFG Podcast. Our Twitter and TikTok at from underscore gorilla. Our Instagram at SF Gorilla Pod. And please check out our new blogs updated on struttingfromgorilla.com. It's going to give you all the information about the host, our blog, and any new information that we can find for you. Wanted to plug all of that in. Because we're all business right now. Because we are going to be talking about absolute greatness by the name of Hulk Hogan. Better known as, who wants to lead us off, boys? Who wants to talk about Terry? Well, let me tell you something, Bobby Stone. I'm here today with my 24-inch pythons. Mean Gene's not here, but I am. And we're going to talk about Hulk Hogan today. And when we get down to business, we're going to drop a leg on you. We're going to say our prayers, take our vitamins. And bring it today. That was such a good... That was great. Great, Vito. Way to get I a just, thumbs, brother. You know, it, it's funny because... Bravo. Bravo. Well, here's the thing, boys. You know, we, we talk about a lot of things on this podcast. And um, I would have thought Hogan would have been one of the first things that we talked about. And he he hasn't been. Years ago, I would tell you Hogan was my favorite my favorite wrestler of all time. And, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it's a childhood memory you know, whatever it might be. Um, but it's just that the things that have come out recently, and I know we'll get into this later. Um, I, I've had a hard time kind of dividing the two. So I'm going to try and keep this as neutral as possible, talking about his career, and we'll talk about the other stuff later. So I, I tried to build myself up for this one. You know, how do you feel about that, Mikey? I'm feel in the same camp as you, Vito, because there's no denying the dude's like contributions to the world of pro wrestling. I mean, he, if it wasn't for some of the things this guy pioneered, you may not have the rock being the single biggest Hollywood attraction. You know, I I mean, this guy clearly paved the way for a lot of other pro wrestlers to come and go. And one thing that like you, that I've struggled with over the years is just all the stuff that's sort of come out about him and his personal life. And listen, we try to just talk about wrestling on this podcast, but I agree with Vito. There's kind of no way around it when we're talking about Hogan. So we're going to be talking about him. We're going to talk about, we're going to try to cover a portion, a good portion of his career, but bear with us. We're not, uh, you know, historians, but, uh, you know, we're going to cover the things that we feel really important highlights to his career matches, all the stuff that we usually do on our superstar spotlights. But at the end, you know, we're going to touch on some of the controversies and stuff and, and talk about how does that, impact his legacy i mean clearly you and i are talking about this so it's impacted it already don't you think yeah no i 100 percent agree with you i think you know though let's let's just dive right in and just to yeah. like let the audience know a little bit the hogan era is like right at the beginning of like when we were kids so it's not like we've like the like stone cold and some of the other ones we've done i have a more vivid memory of but some Absolutely. of this other stuff, I tried to go back and watch some things, but it, you, there's so much. I mean, Hogan was all over the place at, at certain times. So why don't we like, I, uh, Miguel, let you lead it off. 
just sure. to kind of touch on the beginning of his career, and then we'll talk about when he gets into to the WWF. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, no, there's no reason to apologize. I'm interjecting because I feel as if it should be noted before we even start up that to both of your points, there may be controversy in his life, but he is the biggest component to a very uncharted water, brand new entertainment venue. It was things in this industry were leaps and bounds different from any other sport because on paper, it was built to be be a sport at the time, even though there was written entertainment bookings and it was a, it was a long play. And he was the best at acting, the best at storytelling and one of the best to ever take off into a different stratosphere. He made Hulkamania with a bunch of fans, and I am pumped to even talk about it. I'm, I don't want to steer us off any further, but Terry Balea, Hulk Hogan, we're going to be diving in. Good, bad, ugly, and fantastic. Babe Ruth, so, right? The Babe uh, Ruth of wrestling, mm-hmm. you can call him. Yeah, 100%, and I yeah. think... Uh, Mikey, before I interjected on that, I I, I think uh, uh, you were getting ready to talk to us about some of his early days of just how he started up. Yeah, so this is going to be like Reader's Digest version because we're going to be talking a lot about mainly his WWF, WCW stuff. Uh, but just for just for a little bit of context, a little bit of background about Hogan, his real name is Terry Bollea. And from what I remember from the Hulk Still Rules DVD that I watched, uh, he was actually in a band because he would, he just, I remember him talking about it in interviews and he was just like, I wanted to get chicks, brother. You know, and he just thought that was going to be his way to do it was, <laughs> was being in a band. And then I, I don't necessarily remember how he found his way into wrestling, but I do remember that it was in 1970. Bodybuilding. Bodybuilding. And he meets Hiro Matsuda who is a really famous trainer over in Japan. And he, there's, there's a, a story that Hogan always tells about his first day training to come to become a pro wrestler where they, they're doing like, they're getting stretched. We hear that a lot in wrestling that they do that as almost like uh, like a, a, a hazing of new talent of new rookies and stuff like that. And so apparently Hogan was getting stretched by Matsuda and he ended up breaking Hogan's leg. No one ever corroborated that story, but it was just something Hogan always put out there. I don't know if that was trying to make Hogan look tough or whatnot, but I mean, I, I, I mean, it could have happened. I mean, who knows back then, especially, you know, in the 70s, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you never know what these guys. I, 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 I sometimes I wonder how much kayfabe they talk about in these interviews versus what's actual IRL <laughs> in real life. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. So I'm like, all right, well, if that's true, then that's fucking awful but you know good for good for matsuda uh so he finishes training up with him he finds himself go kind of bouncing around a little bit i i know that he wrestled in japan a little bit i'm not really familiar with it i'll be honest but one thing that i did enjoy about it and i want to just throw this little tidbit out there is that in certain interviews hogan's talked about the leg drop right the 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 most one of the most famous finishers in all of wrestling and it's in and it's just so wonderful in its simplicity, right? He was able to put down Andre, Warrior, you know, so many different guys. But in Hogan's mind, he kind of wishes that he stuck with his Lariat that he used back when he was in Japan. He said that just years and years of grinding out his hips doing the leg drop just led to so many issues down the line, not just with his hips, but his back as well. So just throwing that out there was kind of interesting. I just don't know what Hogan's matches would have looked like if he was finishing it with like the big clothesline. Yeah. It's almost so simple and stupid that it's a trademark. Like it's the worst finishing move of all time, but like he literally makes it awesome. And I don't know how, I, I don't know how, but I don't it, know it works. But it's you know, the, the icon gentlemen, it really is because when you see the light for, for the height of, of, of Hulk Hogan for him to go as high as he goes in the mm-hmm. air. Meanwhile, his legs are now parallel with the man on the mat who could be tiny or as big as one of my favorites, Yokozuna. Yeah. And yeah. either way, 
it lands with impact, it shakes the ring, and all of a sudden, everybody recognizes that at that moment, it's lights out. Yeah. We're running wild. We're running wild here tonight. And honestly, you know, you talk about it before, Vito, you were saying like, well, how does it's so stupid in its simplicity, but you know what? If it wasn't for the leg drop, there wouldn't have been some dude randomly throwing an elbow pad out and just dropping an elbow on somebody and calling it the most electrifying move in all the sports entertainment. It's amazing. If it wasn't for the leg drop, you wouldn't have the people's elbow. So 100%. thank you, Hogan. So Hogan finds his way into the AWA. While he was there, he actually was coming off of, he had a brief stint in WWF a little bit before this, and he actually got fired from WWF at the time by Vince's dad, Vince McMahon Sr., because Hogan wanted to, he was approached to do Rocky Three to come in for a role, which everybody who's watched Rocky Three knows Thunderlips. And because of that, <laughs> Vince McMahon Sr. didn't want him to do it. He didn't think it was a good idea for the, uh, a wrestler to be entering into a movie. I think at the time, it was probably, in his mind, bad for business, bad for kayfabe, like we all talk about. So, uh, Vito, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think this was the start of his little prima donna-ness. Like, I really do. Um, where he thinks he's, like, larger than life type thing. I mm-hmm. I just, I really do. Because I, there's a story, and we'll get into it when he gets into WWF years. But when he did No Holds Bar, which I know you just watched Bobby and like it, and that's fine. But at the time, there's a good story about this that I'll I'll tell you. But it's, like, this thing where he thinks... He's always in the best interest of Hogan. You know, it's everything's always in the best interest of Hogan. And he has this way of being snaky about it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But that's what I think, it, you know, is the is the underlying point to take out of this here. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's just I, I ultimately, even if it was in the best interest of Hogan. Accidentally, it was for the best interest of future pro wrestlers venturing into Hollywood. So I, I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one, I guess. Um, so, I, also, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. My, Mikey, I think it's telling, right? Where this is kind of that beginning of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Because this is, this is where, this is where dad and, uh, and VKM really started to, to, go after different ideologies mm-hmm. i mean things as taboo as as the uh territories that he then commanded took in made his own yeah i mean they 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 certainly had different ways of of going about the business and i think this is a clear-cut uh uh area where where the two mcmahons really started to change um mm-hmm. what was good for the business and what was what was good for the old business. And, um, and this is why uh, Hulk Hogan, this is just another layer of why Hulk Hogan's icon and just hall of fame career really is star studded all the way through is because the investment that uh, junior actually made Vince Kennedy put in to Hulk Hogan to actually get the business jump started really is, is is telegraphed all the way through the 80s yeah and the the other point too bobby with that is that um i think the hogan character and we'll get to this point but i think the hogan character also was able to take advantage of that Mm -hmm. lift because everything went mainstream with television and wwf took advantage of it and kind of broke the norm and and started getting rid of these territories and 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 so Hogan was the the you know the lucky recipient of all of mm-hmm. that and it, it was a good fit but well I will touch on that though but continue with the rest of his AWA part no yeah and, and listen it's all about timing right so he yeah. gets it, it that uh, that all lined up he goes into AWA he hadn't really had a character yet he uh, debuted in the WWF and I think it was seventy eight or seventy six seventy seven. And was he was like Freddie Blassie. He was. Was Freddie Blassie his yeah, manager? He had the yeah. big. He had this big, like purple, like I don't, I don't know, like a a shawl or something. I don't. I can't. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember right. like the term yeah. for that. But basically, he had this like purple thing on when he would come out to the ring. Yeah. Um. So he goes. So while he was in AWA, 
sorry, I went on a tangent. Uh, he's there. He's wrestling the likes of like Jesse the Body Ventura, Nick Bockwinkle. He's really rubbing elbows with a lot of top guys in the, that territory at the time. And I think that helped Hogan develop just his kind of in-ring style a little bit. And so he comes over to AWA also as a heel at that time with manager Jimmy Valiant. And again, like all good heels, it's only a matter of time before you start liking them. So he starts to become a heavy crowd favorite. He wasn't wearing red and yellow yet, but the Hulkamania was sort of building at that point. He was kind of developing it in kind of an informal way. And things ended up happening backstage with Vern Gagne, who was running AWA at the time. And when it came to him winning the championship, and we don't really need to go into much of that, but basically an, another piece of kind of Hogan serving Hogan, he was in talks with Vince <laughs> VKM and this is something that was really important, Bobby, to your point about the different ideologies between Vince McMahon Sr. and, and Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Vince McMahon Sr. saw it as pure pro wrestling, it as sport. Uh, kayfabe is kayfabe. What you're seeing is what's actually happening. And there was no real, uh, I guess there wasn't much of a focus on the entertainment aspect, that it could be anything outside of just pure competition. And Vincent Kennedy saw it differently. He saw the sports entertainment aspect of it. And this right here in that 81 to 83, 84, you start to see the development of modern day pro wrestling, actually. You see it in with when Vince, Vincent Kennedy ends up getting Hogan to come over to the WWF. And, you know, there's a really big match in January of 1984. Hogan f- signs back with the WWF. He's got so much momentum behind him, and people are just frothing for this guy to be at the top. And Iron Sheik was the WWF champion at the time. It was a big show at Madison Square Garden. That's always been a mecca for the WWF. And so no better place to do this. And January 1984... Hulkamania was born, wins the title. Yeah. Um, and, and the other the point with this, too, is that lightning strikes again here for him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because now things are more mainstream. You know, at this point, there's no internet. So people don't right. know all this stuff going on. People think it's, everyone thinks it's real. Nobody thinks it's fake. And you got this larger than life character who essentially is the biggest baby face and WWF at the time is known for its baby faces. Like that's yep. what they're, they're known Always. for. Um, and he fit the role perfectly six, seven. He had the look that um, Vince McMahon loved good shit, you know, like he loved that. Um, and I, I just, it was perfect for him. And then you have the, the iron going against the iron Sheik, where it's almost taken the reality of it all, where it's like, USA versus the Middle East and mm-hmm. and like people see that as a real thing and all of a sudden Hogan's winning and you know it's like American pride and America was a, a dominant figure at that point but this is right before the Cold War and like you know people had that pride in America and he was that role model that guy and I watched a documentary that kind of fit this set this up perfectly it's called Bigger Faster Stronger mm-hmm. and it talks about like people in our generation where you see these larger than life characters at the time, you know, you have your, your uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone's Hulk Hogan's all these guys. And they're ripped out of their mind. They're ripped. They're huge. And then they're doing the right things. They're saying, you know, they're basically saying like, take your vitamins, do say your prayers, do this, and things are going to be good. And then he's coming out on top. He's winning a championship, and he's a perfect role model, right? Perfect well, propaganda, right? And you know what though? What they don't under, what you don't understand is these guys aren't just doing that. Like it's not like it's just I take my vitamins, say my prayers. All of a sudden, I'm an American hero. Like there's so much mm-hmm. more to it. But you don't see that as a kid. And this documentary, it's a really good one. It, it doesn't just talk about wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. But it really talks if you were arrest, followed wrestling at this time and you're like into the bodybuilding scene, you're into that type of stuff. Like it was a really cool watch. It was on Netflix. I don't know what it's on now, but highly recommend it. But they talk about Hogan in there because he was the perfect role model for that. And everything became mainstream. And then, you know, in our our last episode, we talked about 
the sacrifices that Stone Cold Steve Austin made to yep. be on top at his time. Mm-hmm. Well, Hogan was the first one to be a wrestler on on television shows, all of that. And it started with WWF because people, that's where they gained his notoriety. Like wrestling was popular on these cable channels. People saw him facing the Sheik, facing Andre the Giant, right? Mm-hmm. Like two large men just going at it to behemoths. And it it became a, a global sensation. Like it yeah. really did. People knew yeah. him around the world. Well, and because of Hogan, the the whole culture around the view of pro wrestling started to shift. Think about so Hogan wins the title in 1984. The next year is the first WrestleMania. And when you watch that first WrestleMania, dude, there are so many celebrities involved there. You have Liberace. Fucking Liberace is hanging out with the Rockettes doing like the the little kick line and stuff. You have Cindy Lauper. You have uh, I mean, you had Lou Albano just being Lou Albano. <laughs> um, you had uh, Billy Martin, manager of the Yankees, involved in it. You had Muhammad Ali as a special like guest enforcer, and that's just off the top of my head. There's probably even more that we're forgetting right now, but that was a real cultural shift. Uh, from pro wrestling into sports entertainment and it became like mainstream it became acceptable for not just old folks that you would see in the audience back in the day to now like young kids can be coming to wrestling events it's cool to like wrestling and really we do have to credit the popularity of hulk hogan with that oh 100 and a lot of that's with vince mcmahon he took this sport that was you know it was so focused on just competition like we have to be this fate we have to be this realistic as possible and he took it from from that to entertainment and this was really that turning point for all of it and hogan was the one that was being able to be pushed up there i mean and and Andre, he talks about it in that Andre um, documentary on HBO, passed the torch to him. Like, he really did. They were really close Mm -hmm. friends. And Hogan was really good at politicking backstage. He may have been all about himself, but he was very good about politicking backstage. He knew how to take advantage of things and work with people. And, like, also, he doesn't get enough credit, but he was a pretty creative guy. Like he really was. And I think he came up with a lot of different things and a lot of different angles. And he really knows the business in and out. Um, it's just the stuff, the other stuff that's like snaky, where he always had to have some sort of angle about him and not mm-hmm. looking bad is really the thing that, that, that irks me. But before yeah. I get into too much of a, a tangent right. about that, <laughs> let's like really get down to these years because these years are like the big years, right? Formative. Absolutely. hundred percent. Oh my God. Oh, and, and he, he took off, man. He was all over the place. I mean, give me, so like, let's, let's just go, go this, this route. Um, mm-hmm. You know, top five, um, like feuds you think of in your head with, with Hogan. And you could take some of the ones that I maybe talked about. You could take a couple. Uh, I'm going to throw one on here. That isn't on uh, Mr. Yeah. Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. Paul okay. Those matches are incredible. If you can watch them, they're on the DVD. They're on Peacock. They, Mr. Wonderful knew how to work Hulk Hogan. Yep. And he was like, arguably like, obviously macho man, I think is probably his biggest one, but his biggest feud, but man, Mr. Wonder- Wonderful is un- is an unsung hero when it comes to the matches that he had and making Hulk Hogan look remarkable in those matches. I agree. Bobby, do you have one? So it's actually the adverse uh, where I think of Ultimate Warrior because mm. he is. Vince understood that Hulk could only stay around for so long and he needed to build the next Hulk Hogan in real time. So when you have the Ultimate Warrior going against Hulk Hogan, and then Hulk drops the belt to you while you have the Intercontinental as well, I mean, the gravity of that saying that mm-hmm. the Warrior really is the guy, it, it, it is. it speaks leaps and bounds to what the hope was supposed to be for the Warrior, but also where Hogan can only do so much, but it was his creativity, to your point, Vito, in so many matches. And one of the things that I heard more than anything about how much of a war course he really was, the injuries that he used to come out with, you know, you'll hear it over time and time again about the wrestlers who go through working like warriors, 
he was he'd have a surgery one day and be back the next day because at that point in time, uh, I know we'll go into controversies at one point, but there was a controversy with Jesse Ventura and Hogan because of uh, union. Uh, do you know the story at all, Mike? Yeah. It's, yeah. One of, it's one of the only times the wrestling union was almost started up and Jesse Ventura was trying to rally some of the wrestlers about it. And I, f- I feel like it was around a SummerSlam or something like that. It was, it was around a pay-per-view at the time and, and Hogan put the kibosh on it. And, and I mean, that's, that's a whole, he, nother he, issue, but it, it is. And, and that whole kibosh though was really telling as to why he was the way he was mm-hmm. because he understood the bigger cash purses were the higher the card were. And that's why he right. couldn't ever be buried because he ultimately, like anybody, wanted to line his pockets to be the highest paid because he was that good. He recognized yeah. it. He did it. He did the work behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, in front of the people, on the mic. The, I, I mean, we're talking icon in every way, shape, and form. He is formidably changed the whole business to what it's becoming. Well, yeah, and that attitude actually got passed down generation to generation to even recently. This is why wrestling unions can't get formed because there's guys at the top that don't want to lose that cash. Yeah, and it's it's easy to say when you're it's like you play favorites, right? And you have someone making the overall decision. But I don't know. It's to me, it's like having an executive producer of a movie. You pick the movie star, you pay him the most, and he has to draw the most money. You know, but mm-hmm. I. I, I that's how I equate it. I don't equate it to sports. I equate it to movies and there right. should Except be something. They don't, they don't put, they don't roll credits at the end of raw. Right. They don't. You're right. They don't. You're hundred percent right. But um, so I, I, I we're not going to get into everything here, but you know, the other two people, the other two feuds, like you have, you have Piper, Piper feud is always good with him. Um, Andre is obviously the biggest one, but you got to remember at this time, it wasn't about, they only did one or two pay-per-views a year like it wasn't like yeah. a big thing they weren't on tv all the time and so like a lot of their money and their draws were coming from live events they would work them and they would have these work programs all the time with different wrestlers and that's where the story was told which is kind of unique and it's interesting but um we'll we'll keep moving we'll keep moving along here um and so we go through the whole like wwf run and you know he's Oh, oh, there was one thing I wanted to talk about. Big Boss yes. Man. Yeah. So this this is the thing I wanted to talk about because Boss Man and, and Hogan had a good feud. But there was a Royal Rumble where Hogan like threw everyone out of the ring, right? Threw everyone out of the ring. And then the mega uh the the um earthquake and um the natural disasters. Natural disasters <laughs> actually teamed up and they knocked Hogan out. But Hogan then when the ref wasn't looking, pulled the rope down, okay, and boss man fell out, right? Now, that's not what a baby face does. That's like no. a heel. That's a heel tendency right there. And you don't see that from a lot of other wrestlers. So it was kind of a weird thing. And and he used to do things like that all the time. And it was like a sneaky heel tendency. I don't know. It was weird to me, but it 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 I saw that and it 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 blew my mind but him and boss man had some good stuff going on man they did so um boss man is underrated oh boss man really is and i know we touched on it in the heavyweight you gonna Uh, serve hard time brother (laughs) all right so all right then another thing i wanted to touch on he's going through this run his popularity is at an all-time high from what 1984 to arguably through 1990 so in that time he's having blockbuster sellout matches with what he's got Mr. T uh, a tag team in, in WrestleMania one. And he's got uh King Kong Bundy, another really great opponent for him. Uh, WrestleMania three, he fights Andre Four, he's involved in like the vacant world title tournament and he helps macho win the mega powers get formed. And then he ends up turning on him and they, the mega powers collide at WrestleMania five, six, he fights ultimate warrior and loses. And, after that, you start to see some some cracks in the armor because later on that year, in November of 1990, a certain superstar debuts. His name is The Undertaker. And a year later, he catches enough momentum to get a title shot against Hogan and ends up winning. And if you watch that match, 
there's already signs that the audience is starting to look for something a little different because at ringside, there's a giant like cloth sign that says Hulkamania is dead. Undertaker will live forever. And it's like, I've never seen a more prophetic sign in my life, but it's, it was really interesting. And if you listen to the crowd response, even during that match, they were like excited. They were elated when Undertaker actually won, despite the fact that Ric Flair was involved. We can, we'll just we'll just try to forget about that. But I just wanted to to note that because I think that was just the first sign that things were starting to change, and that's when Hogan's attitude I think really shifted too in terms of really then seeing a little bit of writing on the wall and wanting to hold on to that spot even tighter. Yeah, and you can't. The thing is, you you can't do the same thing over and over again for such a long period of time. It's just not going to happen, right? Like you have to mix things up when things get stagnant. And Hogan never really did that in WWF. He he kept that babyface mantra. He just kept going around. And it's like he, the 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 pythons can only go so long. You know what I mean? And people wanted a different thing. And I actually think right around the ni- early nineties, like just wrestling in general, the the it was like a peak. And then it started to go down, like even in WCW, like the arenas weren't selling out, everything like that. I just think in general, that time frame for mm-hmm. wrestling was not the height of its popularity for, for sure. And people they needed to mix it up a little bit. And I think that's when, um, you know, you'll see Hogan tries to grasp at all these different straws. Like he's moving on to, to Hollywood, right? He's trying right. to get all these different roles. And this, we talk about the, I want to bring this up because we talk about the no holds barred situation. And originally that was brought up to that. That was a movie that Hogan had the idea for. And he worked with Vince on it. And Vince is actually the executive producer of that movie. Which you can, at the end of the day, you can probably tell. But Hogan basically said, hey, look, if we don't, I need you to front the money on this. If we don't make money off this, I'll pay you back. Basically. And they went through the whole thing and they tried to release it, but they couldn't get it to theaters because you'll, as you'll come to find out in Hollywood, you can't just go to a movie theater and say, play my movie. Like all these big new line cinema, all these different yeah, things. They all got they, deals. With you got to be involved with them. So they mm-hmm. found one, they get on new line. It ends up making $16 million plus whatever it makes after that. And it's, it's a, they spend, they say they spent 8 million on it, but who knows what they spent. And um, anyways, they, it didn't make the money they wanted. And, you know, there was a point where I actually think Vince McMahon came out and said, well, Hogan, Hogan owes me a check. And it was on air. Um, I forget it was on a raw maybe. And he said, Hogan still owes me a check for this money. I guess it must be in the mail and he never paid him or whatever. So <laughs> it's like this whole story, but it was kind of, it was kind of, it's like, what's kayfabe? What's real? What, you don't know. Who knows? No, you don't know. Who knows? And, and so anyways, he gets into all these movies and he starts going here and there. And then, and then you have what, what happens, Mike? Uh, so eventually, you know, 1993 rolls around and, what, I, I forget the exact situation about why Hogan ended up leaving, but he, before he ends up actually leaving, he again tries to have a vice grip on that top spot for his farewell tour. And WrestleMania 9, Yokozuna and Bret Hart are in the main event, and it's for the title. Yokozuna wins the title from Bret Hart, and here comes Hulk Hogan just strutting himself down the aisle and finds his way into an impromptu title match, which doesn't make any fucking sense. We can all agree there. We've already talked about this at nauseum, but at the bottom line is Hogan comes out. He ends up winning the title one last time for a, a meaningless run, really, in which he loses it in a, a really strange fashion because of the what the camera guy. It was the camera guy came to the ring. So even the way he drops the title going out of WWF is kind of like a shitty way to drop the title. Like it's not even clean. He does it in like a a, like, oh, it was he got kind of screwed out of it when so 
Uh, uh, just, anyway. just to kind of, I just want to pull this up because they, they think this is a big thing to do with it. At that time, his reasoning behind it was that he was going to do Thunder in Paradise. He also had right. the steroid. He had the steroid, the steroid scandal, scandal going on. Mm-hmm. So his 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 thing with Vince, they were not on the greatest of terms. But business being business, Vince looked at it and he convinced Vince, saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to be leaving to do Thunder in Paradise." Yeah. Will I be back? I don't know. I really want to get into Hollywood. I basically think my time here is up, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So Vince is like, well, if you're going to go do that and we're going to, we might as well put the title on you. Cause Hogan says it, it makes sense because I'm going to be in, in, in Hollywood. It'll bring more people in yada, yada, yada. He goes and does thunder in paradise. And what channel is that on? TNT. And that's when things got, you know, he he didn't have like a verbal handshake or anything, but he essentially said he was going to retire. And then Bischoff and, uh, you know, uh, Ted, Teddy Turner there opened their paycheck and boom, then you have it. And what did they do? They gave Hogan the one thing he wanted, not only money, but they gave him that I'm still the best attitude. You do whatever you want. You know what yeah. I mean? Like no, we're got chasing this like around. He got treated like the star he wanted yeah. to, to continue to be because he and, saw what was happening in WWF. They were moving yep. past him, not necessarily yep. past him, but his role was changing. You know, yep. I, th- I think there Vince was starting to sort of say, you know, uh, these other guys are coming up and yep. we, we got to be thinking ahead. We, we yep. can't just you can't just be winning over everybody. And because, it was a smart move. To be honest, like what he did to Yokozuna really fucked over his character for a while. Like even even though he had what I thought was a really good title run and eventually kind of caught back on track when him and Brett were working again. But it's still like it made no sense to have Hogan sort of shoehorned into it. No. When when that could have been a really great moment for him and making a new star. And, And hey, this is why he signed with WCW. They gave him a fucking Disney parade. At like, yeah. I think it was like it was studios best. or something. Do you guys remember that? And he was coming yeah, down. I do. The Hulkamania like convertible. I mean, do you? Can you imagine how how hard his pythons were when he was pumping around on that 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 parade? Just those things were probably rock <laughs> freaking solid. And, like, and you know what? He was coming right off of that steroid trial too. So oh yeah, he was skinny as hell. He too. was yeah. Yeah, he was ready to put some bulk back on. Oh, 100%. And, you know, it was the best thing he could have done for his career, if you look back, because it gave him a new platform. He yep. could keep kind of the same gimmick. And so he starts off in this whole thing, and, like, he's doing the same thing. He's basically getting people, and WCW shifting the balance. It's where the big boys play. And they start taking someone like the Lex Lugers, right? Bischoff comes in, and it becomes this crazy thing where it's like all of a sudden the big guys from WWF are going over to WCW. They're getting this guaranteed money. They're not having to worry about certain things. And, um, and then things change, right? Mm-hmm. Hogan, you know, is gone. He's, he's doing some more TV. He's doing all these different things. He's up, he's down. And, um, the, the attitude is changing in wrestling, right? They're they're trying to push it in a different direction. And probably one of the most iconic moments happens at Bash at the Beach, right? The man everyone loves, the man everyone knows, comes back as a heel and joins the NWO. And I'll be honest. I didn't think it was going to work at that time. I was a kid, but I was in shock and it was the best thing he could have done. He was a fantastic heel for NWO. So, no, it was exactly what he needed. It was so a before, shot in the arm. Before we go into that NWO component, because it was iconic. It was a way to really rejuvenate his career. What they started him off in the WCW with though, was absolute garbage. Oh, of course. He was hot trash when he first walked in. Yeah, the it same wasn't thing great. that happened to Brett, except mm-hmm. Brett never got a chance to re-identify himself. At least they set Hogan up with Flair to start it off. Like he came in and finally started having those matches with with Flair. They because they had a couple of matches, like Bash at the Beach or something. Yeah, the, the very first the Bash, Bash yeah. at the Beach in uh, it was in the Orlando. I don't yeah. know why I remember where these things are held. Regardless. Um, it was in an arena. It wasn't at the beach. It was confusing <laughs> to all. And then the next year, the actual Bash at the Beach was, in fact, at a, at beach. a beach. Yeah. 
Good move. No, and and I just this time I thought it was a, it was well done. You know, they were bringing in this new attitude, this 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 more realistic type thing, and mm-hmm. for the first time you saw a dark side of Hulk Hogan, and it was so believable, and you hated the guy for it, you know, and it was great. He had a great run as NWO, and he did the same thing he did in WWF for WCW as a heel. Mm-hmm. By bringing in guys, by bringing in mainstream, he had the the match with Dennis Rodman and, and Carl, Malone. Um, Carl Malone and Diamond Dallas Page. He got fresh people to work with. Like it was a good run. Um, but again, he had this power there, and he wasn't. It was like a good thing for WCW, but again, they 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 pushed it too long. He went and, for far too long, right? Because he goes from having big time matches, including Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone to having a match with Jay Leno. So <laughs> things quickly devolved. And it was just, I, I think it was just, again, like Hogan kind of struck lightning twice because it happened in WWF. And then it happens when he hooks up with Holland Nash and the NWO gets formed. Yep. We all know what kind of happened with the NWO. It kind of went on too long, got too big, too diluted. And um, it just kind of lost its momentum. So yep. lightning, I think, is giving it credit though, because there is certain or or lightning is is kind of dismissing one of the the key components of how much how in tune Hulk really was with the business and understood how to how to change crowd dynamics and things like that. And I mm-hmm. I think this is where I'd agree. Uh, yeah, uh, there's certain pieces of his craft that really were embedded in the business at such a granular level, I think, in terms of being able to tell the stories. You know, you were talking a little mm-hmm. bit earlier about the, uh, you know, let's try to gloss over the Ric Flair interference in the in the Undertaker match. But the truth was, within every one of those, you know, jobbed endings, he didn't never, he never wanted to lose. He wanted to give it the illusion that he was going to lose. Very similar to Andre. Andre yeah. never lost. Right. Except when when Andre finally did lose, there was it, it, had mass. it was never a clean. It was never a clean mm-hmm. finish. It was never clean. Yep. But when it did happen, it had mass ramifications behind it. And that's the way that Hogan really wanted to treat his career. And I think that's where when we can go into the politics whenever at this point in time, because it only gets messier. And I, I think this is where, um, yeah. you know, well, he had so here's the thing though I was reading something he had, he was the only one that had creative control in WCW Nash and Hall did not have creative control I was listening to the Eric Bischoff podcast and they they what they had was they were they were anything decisions that were made Eric Bischoff basically had to go and discuss it with them Hogan had creative control but he only exercised it once and I think it was like at the end of the wcw's thing so i just think it was more of like you don't mess with hogan like he's kind of the end-all be-all you want to be on his good side and like i I don't know i he just went on for far too long and i'll equate it to this jericho's on this fine line with him as well right now because (laughs) no i'm serious think about it i'm laughing because i i kind of think i agree with you he it's true like hogan at this point in his career is like not really wrestling all that great you know, doing other things, movies, Jericho's doing, you know, rock and roll. Jericho's wrestling ring is, style is not great, but him on the mic and Hogan on the mic was great. Mm-hmm. Now, if Jericho can keep doing what he's doing, but take a back seat and let some of these younger guys star now, that'll be the difference. Let's see if history repeats itself, because I yeah. see it happening in front of our eyes. So no, we'll I, see. I, well, you're, you're right. So as the WCW run continues, I mean... We all know what happened with WCW. It basically goes out of business, on itself. Yeah. And during that time, too, like you said, Hogan's in-ring performances started to dwindle a little bit. The injuries were catching up to him. But at the same time, like he, he wanted to hold on to whatever power he could because he still wanted to have that, that top billing. Yep. And so WCW goes out of business, right? 2001, it's done. Vince buys it out. And we don't really see Hogan for like a year. So he doesn't come over in the WCW purchase. I, it was like him, Nash, all the big names in WCW never ended up really kind of coming over because they were all on different kind of contracts that didn't require them to 
have to come come over there. But um, even even though that happens, he gets this call from Vince bed like in 2002. And I think it was right around the time where like Hogan's dad was sick or something. It's something it was some sort of family issue was going on. And Vince reached out to him and then they talked about coming back. And that's when you started seeing promos for the NWO to cut to injecting poison into the WWF. And there was a kind of a big to do about them coming in. Do you remember yeah, that? You know? I, I do. And it a hundred percent was because the, I mean, you look at these guys, they're basically the ones who put WCW out of yeah. business and they were saying it by injecting poison and right. <laughs> Hogan, you know, I, I, Jr. talked about it on his podcast too, growing with Jr. And I, I remember this and you know, I think a lot, it was a mixed reaction back there Yeah, because you're, you're bringing in the guys that basically were trying to put you out of business that betrayed you once. And not only that, but, but Hogan's best interest was always in Hogan. So what is he going to do when he comes back? And I guess they had a talking and Hogan was like, look, we're going to come back as, as this, I'm not going to be the main feature. Like if you watched it at the beginning, they didn't make a big deal about Hulk Hogan coming back to WWF. No, it was NWO. They didn't make a big deal about Hogan. That was purposeful to you. You're right. It absolutely was purposeful. I will say that as a, when I was a fan, then I was like, when I was watching this as a kid, I thought it was awesome. Cause I was like, Oh, this is exactly the NWO I want again, which is just the three of them. I didn't want anybody else. I didn't want anybody extra. I liked that. It was just the three of them. I was, I was just super excited to see. I I was like a real big Kevin Nash guy back in the day. I don't know why, but I loved Kevin. Who Nash. didn't? Big so I was just all about Big Daddy Cool coming back to the WWF. But it was. I mean, I thought it was cool to see Hogan back there, and and I know that this was one of the many repercussions or the beginning of it, really, for Hogan pulling all the shit that he pulled in his first run because now not only do you have some of the guys that are left over there, like Undertaker was still there. There's still a couple of vets hanging in the WWF locker room from his first run. Now you got all these WCW guys that just got bought out into the WWF that he was screwing over the whole time he was in WCW. I know. So but, it's like it's kind of no wonder. Yeah, but the thing too about this is we talk about this all the time. We do. So we talk about this all the time, Mikey. I know what happened with Hogan was the most organic thing that WWE or WWF could have ever done. They basically said, come back, let it work itself out. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, they didn't want him to be this big again. They didn't, they didn't want him to be like that. But Hulkamania, Hulkamania lived forever. And people Uh, just, because they didn't make a big deal out of it, it organically just happened because people knew like people who are wrestling fans in WF knew this was a big freaking deal, mm-hmm. but they didn't make a big deal of it. We wanted them to make a big deal out of it instead yeah. of them pushing it down our throats. Like, like they do with everything else. We made it a big deal. We yeah. wanted it to happen. And that's what happened when he faced the rock and they went on and they had one of the best matches. Again, it wasn't even the best matches. No, the- it was, it was no technical masterpiece, but it was simply just like, like the, the atmosphere of the match. It, yes. The guys didn't have they didn't have to do too much in that match. It did no. not have to be a 30 minute Iron Man match. Yep. But what it was was actually that was sports entertainment at its pinnacle there. Like yep. that was the best example of it when it's yep. done really well. 100%. And and Rock knew what to do. The crowd kind of so l- l- let's fill in the listeners here, right? So we're just we're just jumping in. Yeah, sorry, but, sorry. So Hogan comes in in the NWO and finds himself in this rivalry with the rock because at that point stone cold also was not a big fan of hogan and was not looking forward to working with him so one of one of austin's biggest regrets he says but uh so rock and hogan uh have a build to this wrestlemania match hogan comes out they're in toronto toronto holds a special place for wrestlemania's because at wrestlemania six was that was the last time they had a mania there, and that was when Hogan and Warrior had their classic match. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff happening here. Uh, I think Jr. referred to it as the Skydome Jinx. So he was asking, "Is that going to happen again?" Hogan comes out. The crowd is just electric for him. The Rock comes out. They're cheering for him at first, and there's the big standoff. It's the it's the true WrestleMania moment that I always talk about. It's not forced. It was just it happened. It was electric, and. As the match goes on, 
the crowd is just shitting all over Rock. Every time he gets yeah. any offense in on Hogan, they're turning on him. And Rock, to his credit, because you know how much I love the Rock, he rolled with it. He didn't fight it. He kind of just like worked into a little bit of a heel style and just like let it go. And by the end of that match, he nips up to go do the people's elbow. Everybody stands up. Everyone got pumped again. It was as if they it was as if they were never booing him for the last 20 minutes. And yep. uh, but Hogan, in the rarest of occasions, puts Rock over clean middle of the ring. He had to. He didn't have a choice. He was the low man on the totem pole. Hey, and like I still, said, he still could could have said no. And he, he could have. But he at that point, he was the low man on the totem pole. He had to say it. He had to do it because yep. he had to. And the, again, they built that up without even building Hogan up. But Hogan, no. it, it by doing that, it organically built him up because people wanted to see red and yellow Hogan. At mm-hmm. that point, they didn't want to see Hollywood Hogan. They wanted yeah. red and yellow. I wanted yeah. red and yellow Hogan, you know, I, and I found myself thinking about it. Yeah. Too. Like, Wait, is he going to just leave yeah. WO now? Because he's only been there for a month with them. It was perfect, man. So by them not making a big deal of Hogan, it actually worked in the opposite of yeah. what they wanted. And then what happens? He wins the red and yellow. championship. Yeah. Red and yellow <laughs> Hogan comes back. And then what happens to Hogan again? Boom. Uh, big head Hogan comes back. That's he's right. Back. He's got the demands. He's telling Shawn Michaels he, he, to, how to do things in the ring. He's doing all these different things back to where he was before because he gained that power again. And well, he, go was, ahead, go ahead. I was, what I was going to say is, so yeah, he, he gets the big head Hogan. And I, I don't know if he pushed for this or not, but he gets the title put on him the next month. Yeah. And, um, and he beats of all people Triple H, which is kind of hysterical because it is kind of there's funny. part of me that always views Triple H as like the wannabe Hogan, like yeah. trying to hold on to like always finds himself in like a title picture. But anyway, Hogan wins that wins the championship. It's a nice moment. I'll give him that. It it's, is. A, it's a cool it moment because it's like, hey, like this full is circle. where it felt like a like a full circle farewell tour type of moment. Okay, you got that title one last time, and then. One more time, 10, 11 years later, he loses the championship the next month to The Undertaker, which was just kind of a, another cool little full circle moment yeah. to have a, a, a little bit of a rivalry with him again. And then he kind of goes off and he has a little He's hurt a little bit run. too. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he has this, um, yeah, he has a, a matches with Kurt Angle. He has a, a little tag team championship run with Edge, surprisingly. And that kind of worked well because you kind of saw like he had the build and then it kind of fell off. And then he he sort of he ends up leaving again. And this is when Hogan becomes more of like the attraction, much in the way like you see some of the stars come back now just for WrestleMania. You saw that start happening with Hogan and it and it kind of manifested in this big match with Shawn Michaels, where we if you watch the Shawn Michaels documentary, you kind of know what ends up happening. Hogan didn't want it to just be two faces going against each other. He wanted Sean to turn heel. Sean did, and it was just he lit Hogan up. It was he just oversold it was everything. Of, he yeah. oversold everything. He was like asshole Sean Michael. Oh yeah, it and was great. It was, and I I was all there for it because at me that too. time I, my views finally like really shifted on Hogan. My, me too. And I was like all about Michaels. I was like Michaels, just fucking light him up. It's fine. Yeah. It was such a good match. Those oversells were so fucking good. I mean, what was it? He basically threw himself over the top rope at one point. He did. He threw himself over the top rope. Hogan gives him like the the boot and he goes down. He hits the ground, stands up again, like walks around and then falls down again. It was just, you could tell Hogan was so angry. Yeah. (laughs) No. So it was like one of those things that all happened organically. Everything was mm-hmm. great. You had this yep. great title picture. It was good for a little bit. And then he Big Head it. Hogan came back. He does Hogan Knows Best. He starts getting popularity again, where it's probably bigger than it's ever been with that Hogan Knows Best show. And to me, this is the downfall of Hogan. There were bits and pieces, good and bad, throughout his wrestling tenure. But like this is where things start to open up, right? And um, it just – it's. To me, this is it's it's tough. The guy goes on, tries to live forever, and it's like he just did. If he just stopped when he was supposed to stop, things might have been better. But he he ends up having like the the sex tape scandal, and then he ends up you know having the the racist remarks in 2015, and 
WWF basically says has to sever ties with them and removes them from everything WWE, which broke my heart because Mm -hmm. again, it was like he left, he broke my heart, he's back, everything's great. And then he's gone again. And that's when it just like, to me, the magic faded. But it's like Disney releasing movies from the vault, right? You know, inevitably it's going to come back out again of course it's just a matter of when they need to bring out their own rendition of mickey mouse which Mm -hmm. is hulk hogan yeah but it doesn't it doesn't feel the same for me like i don't look back like i I look back and i see i see stone cold and i'm like this guy was great and i look back and i see how much hogan did and i loved everything about it and he was like a childhood idol and i see some of the the crappy things he's done and it's like how can i look at him and go back there and be like, oh, I love Hogan. Like, dude, I have, I have Hulkamania stickers. I got Hulk Hogan shirts. I got everything. It's like, do I still feel good about wearing it? Like, I, I don't yeah. know. It makes me conflicted just a little bit, but it does. Well, you know what I can't help but think about right now is you talk about a guy who was in this business for what? He was like like 30 years, right? I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I we're not even just for anybody wondering, like, I'm not going to talk about impact because it's not worth talking about. No. If people like it, that's fine. I was not a fan. I really don't care about it. So bottom line is he has this super long career. And what happens is he became, like you said, kind of power hungry. And I know that that's just a common pitfall that I think a lot of wrestlers fall into. I know Hogan is not like the exception here. This, This is kind of the rule. This happens with people. But I think with Hogan in particular, because... He was so his there's so so much significance around what his character meant to pro wrestling and what it meant to pro wrestling becoming sports entertainment or being interpreted that way. Yeah. I think he became someone who started buying his own hype. He wanted to hold on to the power that he had, that top billing with that stranglehold. And I find myself having these weird comparisons to The Undertaker because Undertaker is also somebody who was around for a very long time, but you rarely saw him. Like he, he had a couple of title runs, but he didn't always have a title. He didn't always have the top billing feud. He didn't always have, he wasn't always in the championship picture. You saw it happen a little bit later on, right? It, towards the end, kind of, it was what it was. You sort of talk about how he became a little bit of a parody because he kept trying to hold on for that one last, like really good match. But Undertaker, when you listen to him in interviews was always talking about trying to put like get that next guy over you know he talks about wishing that he actually uh, had roman break the streak because he thought that could have been really good for roman so he's like thinking about the business he's thinking about these other guys and that's the difference when i think about the two of them together when i'm holding their legacies up against one another because i got my issues with undertaker too off screen i know yeah but yeah. but you know we don't really need to get into that but when i'm looking at just like their wrestling legacy that's where I start finding myself holding Taker a little bit higher than than Hogan, because yeah. Hogan was only about Hogan. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great comparison. Um, so I, I again, I'll I'll leave it at this with him. Um, I know we're running out of time. I'll let you take it home, Bobby. But my my thoughts on it. My favorite wrestler of all time, Hulk Hogan. Mm. It's just. The view is slightly tainted. I have to separate the yeah. two a little bit. I really do. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed him as a kid. Like, he was a guy that I was always like, you know, there's one guy I want to meet, mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan. You know? And it's like, it's just slightly tainted a little bit with all of that stuff. And he's not doing himself justice by coming back and, like, being this Mickey Mouse attraction, as you say, Bobby Stone. Because he, yep. he just, it almost like he, like, just pukes all over himself a little bit. Like, it just isn't the same everything's scripted he's just i hate it i enjoy him in the interviews like when he did the the, the andre interview great yeah. job and the guy knows his history he knows everyone he's been around forever so it, like listening to him talk about some of that stuff is really cool but um yeah i'll leave it at that hulk hogan well-deserved episode here you know is there anything yeah. you want to leave it with mike and then I mean, Bobby, you can... l- listen uh, these controversies are what they are you know I have my own personal thoughts about like his uh, views on racism and all that. And I'm not going to get into it here, but for me, it really does. There's a lot of tainting that happens because of that. Cause it's like, I I agree. How how do I, 
it it's hard to reconcile like acknowledging how important this guy was to pro wrestling and also acknowledging that like he's probably racist like how do i do that you know that's yeah. that's tough for me to do as a fan yeah. and, I, and i think i'm not alone in that i think a lot of people sort of try to reconcile that and hogan's not the only person with a complicated legacy in wrestling there's a no. fucking plenty of them yeah oh yeah, yeah, so yeah we're yeah. just talking about him right now yeah uh, that's true but he gets held to a higher level though just because i of think who he because, is exactly right because of what he meant to the business in general yeah. um I, I want to just shift gears a little bit because I want to just give some some f- match recommendations. I, yep. I haven't really that haven't really sprinkled them in throughout the course of this episode. So I wanted to start off with the AWA. This is something that WWE Network doesn't really have a lot of. So I just did a little YouTubing and found a really good match between a pre-red and yellow Hulk Hogan and Jesse the Body Ventura. It's a really good match uh, from. Christmas Day, 1982. So check that out if you want to just get a glimpse into what he was like in the AWA days. As far as his first WWF run, it's like, where do you start? You could do the first Survivor Series main event from 1987. Really good match. It Hogan and Andre are the captains of both of their teams. And it, as much as I love Hogan, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was by far the MVP of that. and definitely came out looking like a million bucks uh any match that hulk hogan had with mr wonderful fantastic really check it out hogan and him had such wonderful chemistry in the ring so one a couple matches that come to mind the big event 1987 there's also another match uh saturday night's main event it's a cage match with paul orndorff check it out um obviously anything with iron his iron cheek the survive the taker match at survivor series you know, the there's stuff. Uh, there know. wasn't a lot. Again, his match with Sting was good. Pretty good. Until the very yeah. end with the Bret yeah, Hart. He had thing. some good matches in there. I, I just think that, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about, Hogan was really good on the mic. And it wasn't he just was. like he, he had was. those great old school interviews yelling at the camera. Him and Macho Man with some of their, their promos together. Oh, fantastic. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, so speaking good. of, watch their match at WrestleMania 5. Yeah, WrestleMania 5. Great match. Um, but but again, he he and then he gets into WCW and he has all mm-hmm. these. He, he's out there almost. I remember I would flip the channel of WCW. Hogan's out always there out there time. talking and you hated him. You wanted to mm-hmm. friggin punch him in the face. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. Uh, there's one match that never happened um, that would have been a really interesting match with Hogan. And that was Mankind or Mick Foley versus Hulk Hogan. Never happened. That would have been really cool. Yeah, they were talking about it like maybe it was a couple of years ago. It was when they went in TNA and they, Hogan was trying to get one last match and they were trying to do it. But Hogan had just had like 10 different surgeries on his back and could barely walk. So mm. unfortunately, I think his wrestling days are over. He never really got that last match, but it is what it is. That's fine. He, he doesn't need it. But anyway, last couple of recommendations. Rock against Rock at WrestleMania 18. You just got to watch it just for the atmosphere in that match. It's wonderful. His match against Michaels, just because you get to see Michaels absolutely kill it. And I guess for just history against Randy Orton, it's SummerSlam 2006. It's his last match ever in WWE. Um, It's really not that great. But if you just want to watch it to say you watched Hogan's last match in WWE, you should check it out. Yep. So. And then he had a run as the um, the Patriot, too. Don't forget about oh, that. Oh, Mr. America. That Mr. was in America, 2003. Right. Yeah. He actually Terrible. had a match with Roddy Piper at Judgment Day that, that year. Didn't really that. weird. Really yeah. weird stuff. Weird stuff. Well, gentlemen, uh, it was in a text message that I sent to you a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have been a couple of days ago. And I'm going to quote myself. Behind every icon is a closet of skeletons that will eventually surface. No one is perfect, so celebrate what you loved, criticize what you would have tweaked, and admit that he is not the Hulkster you once loved, but did change the business forever. Hulkamania ran wild on you. Gentlemen, I love that man all the way to the end. Honestly, because he was that big in 
instrumental in my childhood. And I think that's where I can speak to that like Mickey Mouse segment a little bit more uh, where I, you know, nobody's perfect. I don't care what you did. That was the wild west of the uh, of of sports entertainment. There was there were things happening behind the scenes that good, bad, or indifferent. He is who he is. I mean, he had the Hulk fucking Hulk Hogan MTV show, which was god awful trash. You know, I loved money. Hogan knows best. There was there was, was money good. going around all over the place. The man knew how to make money. To the point where he got a hundred and fifteen million dollar settlement for a sex tape because the guy from PayPal wanted to shut down Gawker. And hold on, forget, don't forget that at one point the George Foreman grill could have been the Hulk Hogan grill, and he missed a phone call, according to Hulk Hogan, the day <laughs> that the guy called him. He missed the phone call, and they went on to George Foreman. Oh, that is fucking priceless. The legacies and the bullshit stories that you will forever hear from that man are things legends can only create. And to that, I don't know how else to end it. Well, what you gonna do, brother, when Hulkamania runs wild on you? We now return your perception of reality to you. Until next time.